You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading from the book of Acts 9, 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is chosen a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. The word of the Lord. Praise to God. You may be seated. Thank you. I just a little greeting for someone who doesn't know who I am. I'm Paul Hansen. I've been coming to this church with my wife for a long time. <laughs> We'll just leave it at that. Uh, pastor's away on vacation, and pray for this vacation he's going to have, because when he gets back, he's going to be going through a tough season. He's going to have surgery. His wife's in the final stages of pregnancy. She's got to take care of two kids at home. And just remember and lift him up in prayer. It's going to be a tough time for him, but we just pray that this week will be a time of refreshing yes. before he goes through that trial. <laughs> I want to thank the board for getting me a new carpet this week. I think it's great. I think, I think Pastor's a little jealous that he's not the first one preaching on it. <laughs> but I want to thank you for that. You guys are great. I'm going to 
get to what Marcella read, but we're going to look at something first in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 17. It's three verses, and I'll read them. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and the tongue is parched for thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. Now, I have a translation from the New American Standard. They add one word in there, and it says, I, the Lord, will answer them myself. I kind of like that. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on bare heights, fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and the dry lands springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. Here it is. That they may see and know, that they may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, the Holy One of Israel has created it. Three stages, seeing, knowing. I think, I don't like using knowing in this translation because sometimes people think they know something and they understand it. But as we see here, there's a difference. So instead of knowing, I'm going to say recognize. Because we see and we don't recognize. So seeing and recognizing, it's two things. And then considering is like meditating and studying. And then gaining wisdom, understanding, is like learning. So this isn't rocket science. All our kids go through these stages in our school. They see, recognize, study, and learn. Same thing. But there is a difference between seeing and recognizing. I'll use myself as an example. I have a friend, Joe. I haven't seen Joe in 15 years. We haven't talked up Facebook. I haven't seen him in a long time. What I didn't know about Joe was, since I've seen him, Joe's gained 160 pounds. Now, that's not a big deal, except when I'm walking down the street one day and someone's coming the other way towards me, I kind of see them and I move over. And then I move over a little more. <laughs> because Joe is a big guy. But I don't recognize him. He gets to me and says, Paul, how are you? I haven't seen you in 15 years. I go, Joe, I didn't recognize you. You changed your hair, right? <laughs> I mean, we know that. If something is not recognizable, we think we know it, but we don't. So just seeing is not enough. I saw Joe, but I didn't recognize him. I bet you there's some things in these verses we just read that you might not have recognized. Put up on the screen. Go back to verse 18. We want to recognize the glory of God. We just don't want to see it. We want to recognize it. I will open rivers on the bare heights. When was the last time you took your kids fishing in the river, but you had to climb Mount Beacon to get to the river? There's no rivers on the bare heights. The rivers are down below. Bare heights, streams feed the river. But God's glory, you don't, you've got to recognize it. So you've got to see it and recognize it. Jump to the next verse, 19. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. Okay, that's poetic. It sounds nice. We've all seen pictures. Some, some of you might have been to one, but an oasis in the desert where there's trees and water in the middle of this dry area. Now, we would see that, okay. But my friend Steve Relier, he might be a little bit more amazed. See, Steve really is a tree guy. And he's looking at that grove of trees, thinking, something's wrong with that tree. What's wrong? A grove of trees produces itself. If you've got a grove of pine trees, they produce pine. If you've got oaks, you get oaks. A grove of tree left to itself. But that's not what this is. This is God planting in a dry place. The plain, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive. 
And Steve recognizes that, like, how are they there together? They were planted by God. It's a miracle. You ever have a verse in the Bible that you take for yourself and say, this is my family verse? Well, circle this verse, 4119. This is Salem Tabernacle. God planted all you individual trees. You're not like each other. You're different. You get to recognize that. And you're planted. And God has brought water, living water to you that people can't see. But he's sustained him. And he's helped us to grow. But we are planted. So here's our Salem Tabernacle. That's our verse. We're all different trees. Sometimes we have some fruit fall off and our kids grow up and stay in church. But a lot of you have a story of how God planted you here. And you have to know that story and be able to tell it to your friends and your family and your kids. I'm going to put something back up on the screen. Those four things that we talked about, seeing, recognizing, and considering, and understanding. The four levels of understanding. We don't want to miss God's glory. When he talks here in uh, Isaiah, he says, I, the Lord God, is going to answer myself. I'm showing up because I don't want you to miss it. I'm going to do amazing, miraculous things. I don't want you to miss it. So between seeing and recognizing is information. That's all it is. It's recognizing something that, wait a minute, I got what's wrong with this picture? Like Steve looking at the trees. But getting people to see and then recognize God's glory, that's our part. We can give them information. We can interpret for them what God is doing in the world and in their life. They see it and they don't recognize Think about a tour guide. All right, I wasn't going to use the example, I will. Our family took a trip to the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, oh, a while ago. And I wanted to take a detour, and we went to Mount St. Helens. And it was awesome, driving in. I remember from the pictures when it erupted on the news. But it was amazing to be there in that visitor center, six miles across from the crater, and seeing it. It was amazing. Then a park ranger comes up next year, and they start talking about what you're seeing. Now, now that's totally different. Now I'm recognizing something that I, I saw it. But that park ranger had information about what happened that I didn't have. That's a whole new experience for me. And that's what's going on in the world and God. Now, the part about considering and understanding, that's not on your part. That's on the person who's received. That's their part. And any parent who knows who's tried to get their kids to study and learn knows how frustrating that can be, right? Every teacher does the part see, recognize, gives them information. But the part about meditating and considering and studying, that's on you. And then you gain wisdom and knowledge. And trust me, when it comes to God's glory, we want to be studying and considering and all these things. We don't want to miss it so that we can learn. Because just like in school, when they give you a test, the test isn't what you saw, the test is about what you learned. And in God's kingdom, it's the same way. It's not about that you saw God's glory or even recognized it. What did you learn from it? And the test will come. Might not be Friday at the end of this week, but there'll be tests. And ever see how some people get through tests with no problem and other people test wipe them out? Ever, ever notice that in life? I noticed in classrooms. They have a test, 
And the kids who study, no problem, take the pen out, I'm ready for it. The ones who didn't study, oh man, they're mad. They're mad at the teacher for giving the test. <laughs> have, have you ever been mad at God for giving the test? I mean, so remember, there will be a test. We have to help our family, our friends, to see and recognize God's glory so that they can get to the part where they can take the test and the test won't kill them. All right, now we're going to fast forward to what Marcella read. Just keep this in mind. Conversion of Saul, I'm going to paraphrase it so I can get through it because there's a lot of scripture and I'm not going to read it all over again. So the conversion of Saul is, Saul is the chief persecutor of the believers. He's the number one guy. And he goes back to Jerusalem, to the synagogues, gets letters from the high priest, permission to harass and imprison the Jews. Think warrants. Think paperwork. Get that vision in your head. So he gets that paperwork that gives him authority. He has authority. Authority to persecute. That's the worst persecution you could ever get. When a person persecuting has authority, they've had a bad boss, bad government, bad parent, they have authority, and, and then they persecute. That's the worst thing that can happen to us. So he, here Saul is doing it. So now Saul, he heads out to Damascus with his servants. I want to change that. Because everyone has an idea what servants are like. Right? You think servants, you think cook, you think they clean, they take care of me. No. Here we go. I was a kid growing up in the 60s. Early 60s. Yeah, I am that old. Sorry. If you're starting to figure out in math how old I am. Yeah. And uh, back in the early 60s, big thing was Saturday morning television. We had a little black and white TV. Yes, I did not have a color TV. Black and white TV and Saturday morning television. You looked forward to it. You went to school all week, and then Saturday morning came. Now, my younger brother, he was a cartoon guy. He liked cartoons, but not me. I liked two things on Saturday morning. I liked the Bowery Boys with Hunts Hall and Leo Gorsi, and I liked Westerns. And even now, today, a good Western comes on that's made recently, I, I enjoy watching it. So in a Western, there's always bad guys and good guys. White hats, black hats, really easy to, to distinguish. And usually, at some point in the story, or Western, some bad guys do some things. They rob some cattle, they rob the bank, and they do something like that. So they head out of town. Town has one sheriff, doesn't have a police force, has one guy. So that one guy goes to all the men in the town and says, all right, guys, let's go. I'm going to deputize you, and we're going after the guys that just robbed our bank. And that group of men are called posse, right? You have an image of a posse. Now I want you to think of Saul's servants as a posse. All right, you got that? Saul wasn't the people who were wrestling and putting, binding up the believers. He had the letters. He was just pointing. His servants were doing all that. So now these, these are men, probably strong men, probably soldiers like mercenaries on loan to Paul. Saul, excuse me, he's not Paul yet. That's Saul. So here we go. Now we have our category set. The posse and Saul on the road to Damascus to go after the believers. And God knocks them down. Bright light, 
knocks him down. Speaks to him, tells him, you're persecuting me. Stop. Jesus says, just stop. And then he says, go into town, and I'll tell you what to do. It's important. Tell Saul that. Now Saul's posse, I love these guys. So you put up verse 7. I love these. They saw and heard, and they were speechless. Oh man, I wish we had more posses living in the world today who saw something that they didn't recognize or understand and kept quiet. Our internets, our phones, our websites, our Twitter, it would be a whole lot less confusing if people would just be quiet when they saw something that they didn't know anything about. All right? So these guys, they got it right. They were speechless. They didn't say anything. Okay? So now they bring him to town. Now later on in the verse, we find out where they brought him, but I'm going to bring it out now. So they bring him to this house on this street called Straight that is the house of Judas, descendants of Judas, family of Judas. So that's where they bring him. Now there isn't much said about how that house of Judas related to the believers in town. But I, may, I don't know if it's such a stretch to think that if the chief persecutor of the believers is welcome there, that the believers probably aren't welcome there. I got to kind of believe that that house was the one that the believers kind of walked around and avoided. Okay, because here the chief persecutor that's looking for them <laughs> is welcome there. They bring, and they knew to bring him there. That's where they went. He had to be led by his hand. He couldn't see. He was newly blind, like the game the kids play pin the tail on the donkey, where they're totally uncoordinated. That's, what, that's the state that Saul is in right now. So they bring him to that house, and it says he was there three days, didn't eat, didn't drink, and he couldn't see. God speaks to another character in this story. His name is Ananias. This is kind of the good part. He tells Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go to this house on this street called Straight. Yes, that's the house of Judas. I want you to go there. And I want you to lay hands on Saul and heal him. So God tells Ananias the whole plan. You're going to go to this house. You're going to lay hands, and God's going to heal him. What does Ananias do? <laughs> Ananias balks like any other normal person would be. Well, you know, Lord, that guy, he, uh, he hasn't been too nice to us. Matter of fact, he can arrest us. And he can even take, we could die from this guy. So I, I love it when God tells us to do something, we give him back information like we think God didn't know that when he told us in the first place. <laughs> you ever think about that? We start talking back about the situation like God didn't know it. But he knew it already, Sal. He knew when he told Ananias, he knew everything. But Ananias had to tell God, you know, that's a rough guy. Well, that's what Saul did. That's what Ananias talked about, what Saul did. In the next verse, and I'm going to just, I'm going to read it. Verse 15, it's not for you to put up, but in verse 15, he says, 
Go, because he's a chosen instrument of mine. So now he's telling Ananias, I don't care what you think what he did. You need to know who he is. Right? You need to know who he is. How many times do we not approach people because of what they've done? And we just need to be reminded of who they are, a child of God. So he goes. <laughs> he leaves his house. This is typical. He leaves his house. He obeys God. Isn't that great that he obeys God? Leaves his house, goes down the street, goes to this hard place, scary place probably, this house of Judas, and he's going to meet a real hard person. He's going to confront Saul. <laughs> Verse 17. Can you put that up? 9.17. He comes in and he sees Saul and he says, he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Did that jump out to anybody? It jumped out to me. Two days ago, I was working on this. Today, Brother Saul. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Time out. This is the Saul, the persecutor. This is Saul, the guy who, who could kill me. His men are still there. They're not blind. They're not incapacitated. I'm still at risk here. Ananias leaves his home, and from the time that he walked to this house, a change came over Ananias. He changed and walked in and said, Brother Saul, there's a truth there, and we have to get a hold of it, that when you walk in obedience, change is a byproduct. Change is not the goal. It's a byproduct. It just happens. It just happens. We want to change our life, and we want to cut this habit out and stop talking this way. And we're trying to cut all these edges off of our life and we just need to live an obedient life to God. Change takes care of itself. He'll change you. So Saul prays. I mean, Saul's prayed over. And amazing. The scales are lifted from his eyes. He can see. <laughs> and... He's, he's converted. That's what they call it, the conversion. He's on the path to his transformation to become Paul the Apostle. And that's the story. There's some things I want to look at. Ananias was told that you have to go to this house because I've already told Saul you're coming. And you caught that. Saul already had a vision of Ananias coming to lay hands on him. So when Back on the road, when Jesus told him, go to Damascus and I'll tell you what to do, that was one of the things he was telling him. While Saul was blind, three days, not eating, drinking, God was talking to him, he was praying, he was getting visions. The transformation was already happening. Things that no one could see in that time frame. That was three days, we didn't know what was going on. You would think that would embolden us to go. God's already working it out ahead of time. Right. We still balk. We still hesitate just like Ananias. We still like, I think a lot of times when we start talking to God, we're not trying to give him information, we're trying to build up the courage to say no. Yeah, I've been there. It's not so much that it's new information, it's me getting the boldness to say no to God. 
I'm so glad that God came back to Ananias the second time and said, no, Saul is my chosen instrument, go. And he did. But his, there was work going on that he couldn't see. And then he lays hands on him and the transformation of him being healed is complete. Three days. Three days Saul was being worked on by the Lord. Three days in the Bible is pretty common. Three days where you don't see something going on, but something's going on before the glory is revealed. Jesus died on the cross and he rose right away. He went into the depths of the earth and led captivity captive. He was busy. There were things going on that we couldn't see. Couldn't see it. But the glory of his resurrection was revealed three days. Glory revealed three days. Saul's glory of transformation revealed three days. Another famous story, Jonah. <laughs> He's going the wrong way. The guys on the boat realize the storm is his fault. They throw him overboard. He goes beneath the sea. As far as the guys on the boat are concerned, he's drowned. But he's swallowed by a big fish. He was saved. When did we find out he was saved? Three days later when the fish spit him up on the ground. Do you think something was happening to Jonah while he was in that fish? That God was changing Jonah? Those three days, working on him? It wasn't just, you know, whatever. When he hit that land, when that fish spit him out, he knew what he had to do. He was changed. But the glory of, of his salvation was revealed three days. Last one, Abraham and Isaac. God tells Abraham, sacrifice your son. So he loads up his stuff, wagon, servants, gets all the material they need for the sacrifice, and they head up the mountain. They get to the top of the mountain, God stops it, and reveals the ram in the bushes. How many days? Three days. Three days for the glory of the sacrifice to be revealed. The same kind of sacrifice that was revealed was for our sake. Three days. The glory. I'm going to tell you, three days are up. Three days are up. God's been working on people in our lives that we can't see, but it's time. Three days are up. It's time for us to go to some hard places. That neighbor's fence. That's a hard place. That neighbor's been rough. But you know what? God's been working on him. God's doing something, and he's waiting for someone to show up to reveal his glory. <laughs> How about that coworker that you just can't get along? Oh, man, if their cubicle isn't a hard place, I don't know what is. I, I'll, I'll walk downstairs and come around a different way just so I can avoid walking past that cubicle. That's a hard place. But people are... God's really doing the work on that person. We don't see it. You don't see it. But he is. Here's one for you. How about your teenager's room? Is that a hard place? You laugh. But is that a hard... I mean... They're in their room, they're in the house, they're safe, that's great. No. 
God's doing something in them, and you have to be willing to go to that hard place, just like Ananias went to that hard place, and meet that hard person, might be your kid, and reveal the glory of God. This is one of my favorites. The holiday family table. Is that, a, you're just thinking about it, is that a hard place? You've got that relative, that uncle, not this sibling, and man, that's tough. And you want to you knock them off their high horse. You want to knock them down. Don't do that. That's not your job. Stay in your lane, right? That's Jesus' job to knock them down. It's our job to bring healing hands. Healing hands to all those situations. Not information, healing hands. God's already working on them. With your neighbor, a healing hand might look like a handshake or a wave. A coworker, same thing, maybe a fist bump, healing hands. With your kids or your family, it might look like this. God's trying to reveal himself to these people. And he wants to use us. He wants to use us. We can all all recognize Saul in his story and say, yeah, I once was blind, but now I see. But that should be an historical moment for a lot of believers. It happened once. Now you see. But Ananias, that's the guy I want to be. I want to be the guy who can hear from the Lord and be willing to go to a hard place knowing with confidence that God's already doing something there. He's already working on those people. He's already changed their name. They are his. That's what God says. They're mine. They're entrance of mine. And we just have to come, not with an argument to say, see, I told you, I'm a believer. I mean, that would have been so easy for Ananias, right? To walk in and say, see, See, Saul, I told you, you mess with God and he makes you blind. See, I told you. See, right? Is that the, you want to do that with your kids? See, I told you. You want to do that with your relatives? See, if you just done it this way, right? We're so tempted to want to do that. And what he wants us to do is come in with healing hands. Healing hands. Just say, why are you there? Healing hands. And be quiet. (laughs) The hardest thing to do. Right? Be quiet. Get out of the way. Let God do the work in these people's lives. When I'm talking here, I think, I think there's some of you that had people come to mind. I just threw out a few examples. But there's more. There are people in our lives that we know need to see God's glory. We know they need to recognize it and be a part and and get, give God the glory. And it's important that we do that because the Bible says when we give him glory, or he gets the glory, we see his glory, we can take that and give it back to him. And he gets the glory. And as we heard in the song today, if I be lifted up, I will draw. Draw. We want to push them. We want to drag them to God. We want to kick them, go that way. No. Healing hands, 
and then back up and let God draw them. He, he will draw them to himself. That, that's a promise. When, his, when he's glorified, he will draw them to himself. So our goal is to bring glory and bring healing hands. I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to stand up right now while the worship team comes back. Yeah, a pastor set me up last week. He said, Paul's going to preach for 20 minutes. <laughs> that wasn't so bad, except... I had people after church going, looking forward to that 20-minute sermon. <laughs> and uh, I guess it wouldn't be so bad if one wasn't my wife. But, uh, but I get talking about something that God's shown me, and he's shown me so much more. And I don't want to just talk. I just don't want to, I don't think I can add anything more to what he said in this. That we realize... Jesus is at work in the whole world. He's already doing things that we can't see. Three days are up. Three days are up. So what's our part? Our part is first obey. <laughs> Pretty tough, right? To obey. To be willing to go to that hard place. To see that hard person. To be willing to do that. It's tough. But the toughest part, I think, is to get there and have healing hands. That's, that's not natural for us. We want to come in with guns blazing, and, and, but no. Healing hands. So I'm going to pray now, but I want you to pray for the people that you're thinking about, because you're all thinking about people right now. Could be child, parent, cousin, coworker, whatever that has been brought to your mind, pray for them that the Holy Spirit would continue to work in their life. Maybe he might even show you what he's doing. Maybe he'll even lay out the whole plan like he did for Ananias. He told Ananias, go here, do this, do this, I will do this, I will do Maybe he'll show you the whole plan. But maybe he won't show you the whole plan. Maybe he'll just show you a little part. A little part of healing hands. So when you... We're going to pray now. I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to pray for you while you pray for those people that you're thinking about. Can we do that? Can we do that? You're going to pray for the people that you know in your life God wants to do a work in. And I'm going to pray for you and me that we get it right. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful that you don't leave us alone. That you continue to draw us, even here, to yourself. Lord, thank you that we can trust you. Because the direction you draw us in is towards you. And we trust you fully, Lord, with our lives, with our families, with everything we have. We thank you, Lord. But Lord, I pray today for a spirit of boldness and courage in this place. Lord, I pray that Fear would not be the thing that keeps us from ministering for you. Fear would not be the thing that keeps us from laying healing hands. Lord, I just pray that that boldness and that courage and that strength will not be for battle. We're not going to fight. That's not what it's for. That courage and boldness is for us to have healing hands. And Lord, when that happens, we pray you draw them to you. 
draw them to yourself, Father. Know that we need to see your glory. And this world needs to see your glory. Oh, this world needs to see it. And when you are lifted up, Lord, that you will draw them to yourself. And that's, that's our prayer today. That's our prayer today, that we, you would be lifted high. And all these things we say in your name. Amen. Amen. And amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.